Welcome back to the Grand Valley Community Church Podcast, a community of faith in Brandon, Manitoba. We hope this message helps you to meet Jesus and grow in faith. So today we're launching into a new sermon series together called Marriage Killers. And when, uh, when Vicky and I were planning this sermon series and working through it, we had you know, some kind of different ideas like how do we build strong marriages? How do we build thriving or healthy and then I'm pretty sure it was Vicky's idea, said, what if we flip it around? What if instead of talking about starting with what makes a strong marriage, why don't we talk about what kills marriages? Why don't we talk about some of the, the things that if we're not careful, if we don't watch for, can actually tear our relationships apart? And so we started thinking about that idea more and decided that, yeah, this is the direction we wanted to go. So we're going to spend today and the next two weeks talking about marriages, we're going to talk about what are the things that can actually tear marriages apart. Now, if you're here and you're not married, I don't want you to think, oh, I can just check out because this is still something for you. Maybe you're not married, but you're thinking that one day you would like to be married. And what we're going to talk about is actually going to give you a huge head start and a leg up on everyone else who's getting married. Maybe you're here and you might say, I never want to get married. I'm happy being single. And we're going to talk, though, everything we talk about in this still applies to how we view relationships that we have with friends, with coworkers, with, you know, our families. And maybe you're here and you're divorced. This is still a message series that's for you. Now, as we go through some of these things, there's the potential that there might be some painful memories. There might be some things in your history that this might bring up where you think, I wish I would have done that differently. And I want to encourage you, actually, to just as those memories might come up, take the time to say, is this something I actually need to forgive myself for? I know I made a mistake in the past, but, but maybe this can be part of a healing and a restoration process for you. But at the core, marriages, the issues that marriages face are relationship issues, and all of us are involved in relationships, whether that's friends, family, coworkers, neighbors, we're all in relationships with each other. And so now we're going to, but we're going to focus on this core, this marriage piece. Now, if you've got a smartphone with you, I want to invite you to uh, load up the YouVersion Bible app uh, and you can search for uh, Grand Valley on the events tab or let it search by location. And you can follow along as we go uh, with the scripture passages and some of the the quotes and things I'm going to share. But there's also a way for you to, there's a link you can click on that will take you to some questions. And I'm going to ask three questions as we go. And before we wrap up today, we're going to discuss these questions together a bit. But today, we're starting with the myths of marriage. We're starting with some of the myths that we might believe about marriages that are very common in our culture and in our society. And so we're tackling with the really big one first. And I'm kind of calling this, uh, and I adapted this from a book that I'm going to reference a little later, the Hollywood myth. Now this is the myth of marriage that comes from movies we watch, romantic comedies, from TV shows. It even comes from books. It comes from fairy tales. It's kind of the predominant myths and beliefs that we might have about marriage. And it's, it's four steps. Hollywood's myth of marriage. Step one, find the right person. That's, that's the foundation of it, according to Hollywood. Step two, you got to fall in love with that person. Step three, you fix your hopes and dreams on this person fulfilling all your whims and desires. They're supposed to complete you, make you feel good. And step four, when failure occurs, 
repeat steps one to three. That's, now it's an oversimplification, but that's predominantly our Western world's understanding of marriage. Now, that's the myth, and I'm just going to lay it right out from the start. I want to share with you God's plan for marriage, and then we're going to walk through the steps and how they relate. So let's shift gears. Let's say this is God's plan for marriage. Become the right person. Instead of finding the person, it's about who, do, who are we becoming. Step two, walk in love. We don't fall into it. It's something we choose to walk in. Step three, fix your hope on God and pleasing him through your marriage. Have your marriage focused on your relationship with God. Step four is actually the same thing. When failure occurs, repeat steps one to three. Come back to this, how do we become? So this actually comes from a book called Love, Sex, and Lasting Lasting Relationships by Chip Ingram, and I'm going to quote him a little later in some of this. But let's talk about just step one. So step one on Hollywood's myth says, find the right person. Now, when we say find the right person, how many of you have maybe heard someone, maybe a friend say this, or maybe you've said it before, you know, maybe before you were married, or, you know, I'm just looking for Mr. Right, or I'm looking for Miss Perfect. I'm looking for that person that's going to be perfect. Okay, let's be honest with ourselves. We all know that none of us are perfect. And there's a second way that this myth comes out. We often sometimes maybe use the phrase, we say, you know, when I get married, that will complete me. You know, one half plus one half equals one whole. Guess what? The math doesn't actually add up on that. Because marriage is not actually designed to make us whole and make us complete. In fact, marriage is actually giving someone else the front seat to all of your own issues, baggage, and hypocrisy. Think about it. When you live with someone, you actually can't hide your flaws. Now, you might be able to hide your flaws when you see someone, you know, an hour a week, or maybe you can hide your flaws at work when it's 40 hours a week, but when you're living with someone, you can't hide it. Your spouse actually knows your junk and your problems probably better than you do. Now, and actually, there's this, this term we have for, for new marriages. We call it, they're in the honeymoon phase. And I have my own theory for why we call it the honeymoon phase, because essentially your idealism hasn't died yet. <laughs> Think about it. It's true. Your idealism of this is going to be wonderful and perfect and happy and everything's going to be flowers and roses and the smell of fresh-baked cookies every morning or fresh bacon every morning. The idealism hasn't died yet because sooner or later the reality sets in. I'm not trying to like bash marriages here, but let's just be honest with ourselves about it. So God's step says when we see how hard of work marriage is, and marriage is hard, but it's worth it. When we talk about this, God's plan is for actually us to become the right person. It's about being on a path and a journey forward of how do we become the person that God intends for us to be. Now, there's a a letter in the New Testament called Ephesians that Paul wrote to the church of Ephesus and the churches that were surrounding Ephesus. And he takes the first three chapters and he's laying out, this is God's big plan for you. This is God's plan for creation, God's plan for humanity, God's plan for salvation to draw us into a relationship with him. And after he finishes explaining this, he has this prayer for the church and prayer for followers of Jesus. And this is what Paul says. When I think of all this, referring to everything that God has planned and created and how God has designed the world to be, 
When I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And he keeps going. He says, and may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Note what Paul doesn't write. He doesn't write, marriage will make you complete. He doesn't write that having children will make you complete. He doesn't write that having the right job or the right car or whatever it is will make you complete. We will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God when we understand his love for us. That's what we're talking about when we say that God's plan is to become the right person. He's saying become someone who is empowered with the Holy Spirit. Become someone who is filled with God's love Become someone who is empowered by everything that God is calling us to be. This is the picture of what it means to seek wholeness, is we find that in a relationship with Christ. That's what God is calling us to. Now, one of the things that the church has not done well with in recent history, and probably even longer if I could go back and do more research, but the church has not done well with singles. The church has often idealized the the family. And it's sad to say this, but oftentimes churches have treated someone who reaches a certain age and isn't married, and we kind of go, oh, well, what's going on there? How come they haven't found someone yet? The truth is that God's picture of completeness in relational doesn't actually require marriage. God's picture of us being complete relationally is through being in relationship with him and through being in relationship with the community around us. And that big, huge chunk of that community around us is through finding wholeness in relationship with our church, with the body of Christ, bigger than just the local church, but the church as a whole. And so oftentimes the church has not done well with recognizing that people who are single, that's not a problem We actually, as churches and communities, need to walk together with all of us trying to find this completeness of life that God calls us to instead of setting people up on bad blind dates. Singleness isn't an issue or a problem. What's the problem is when we try to find other things to make us complete rather than our relationship with God that he's trying to call us into. And so the first question... Oh, actually, sorry, I had this line to throw up. Instead of focusing on finding the right person to marry, focus on becoming the person God is calling you to be. Instead of focusing on just finding marriage, focus on becoming who God's calling us to be. And so here's the first question I want to put up. What's the next step that you need to take to become the person God is calling you to be? What's the next step for you to experience the fullness of God's love, of his the depth of his care for us to be empowered by his Holy Spirit. What's that next step for you? And we'll, we'll come back to this to talk about a little later. So let's move on to step two of this myth. Step two of Hollywood's myth of marriage says fall in love. Now, 
what's supposed to happen, according to Hollywood, is out of the blue, you'll be somewhere, you'll lock eyes with someone from across the room, and suddenly everything disappears away except for that person, and you just fall head over heels madly in love. Now, I have issue with this term fall, because let's imagine you're walking down the street, and maybe you've got your phone out, you're looking at something, and you don't realize there's a manhole cover missing where they're doing some utilities work, and they didn't put up barricades, and what happens? You fall into the manhole. Now, no one falls into a hole intentionally. In the same way, we don't want falling in, like being in love with someone to be something that happens to us because we fell into it. See, God's plan is to say to walk in love is to choose to love one another. It's not, I just took a misstep and I fell into a hole and now I'm in love. Instead, God's view is that love is something that we choose. It's not something that happens to us. It's a choice. And see, there's a reason for this. A strong marriage isn't found. A strong marriage is built. We don't stumble into and discover a strong, healthy, thriving marriage. A strong, healthy, thriving marriage is built. It takes work, it takes time, it takes effort. It's something that's created over time, over years, over experiences. And so, how do you actually do this? Because it doesn't automatically happen as soon as you say, I do. It actually happens through us having to make choices every day. To make choices to grow together, to make choices to benefit one another. And this is where love actually gets messy. Because part of genuinely loving someone is to actually give them what they need, not just what they want. So, for example, if I'm about to make a really dumb decision on something, the surface-level loving thing would be for Nikki to say, oh, that's fine, dear, you just go ahead. The actual loving thing for her to do, which Nikki's pretty good at, is to be blunt and be like, you're being an idiot, that's a dumb decision. Now, Nikki and I have learned how to communicate this way, but she still does it in a way that's loving even when she calls me out for my stupid things I do. But that's what it is about. And this is the quote from Chip that I want to read. Genuine love isn't a passive, quivering mass of good feelings. Genuine love is a deliberate, intentional, honest, and even painful giving up of self-preservation for another person's good. Deliberate, intentional, honest, and sometimes even painful. Now, you've still got to show care and love to someone when you call them out on something they're doing poorly or a mistake they're about to make because you're trying to protect them. You still have to do it in a way that they perceive as loving. But it's not just an emotion. It's not just a feeling. It's a genuine, intentional choice. So how do you actually do this? How do we actually live sacrificially and intentionally to each other? And so for that, we're going to go a little further in Ephesians, and we're going to go to Ephesians 5. Now, some of you that know Ephesians 5 will go, oh, Brian's going to go to verse 22 to 30. I'm not going there. We're actually going to go before that. We're going to go to Ephesians 5, verses 1 to 2. This is what Paul says. He says, imitate God, therefore, in everything you do because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. 
He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Because of Christ's love for us, he gave himself up as a sacrifice. And because of that love for us, then we can choose to imitate him and give up ourselves for each other. Imitating God, living a life filled with love and following the example of Christ is how we live out that intentional um, love as a decision, as a choice. It's an active choice to follow God. So here's the second question to put up. How can you remind yourself to walk in love? How can you remind yourself to choose love instead of just expecting we're going to fall into it or it's just going to happen naturally? All right, on to step three of the myth. Hollywood's step three is fix your hopes and dreams on this person fulfilling all your whims and desires. They're supposed to make you happy. They're supposed to uh, meet all your expectations. And there's a line that Nikki and I were given when we did our pre-marriage course that has stuck with me, and I think I've repeated it to every single couple that I've ever done pre-marriage with of helping them get ready for marriage. And it's this line, expectations are premeditated complaints. If you have expectations of your spouse, especially if you don't ever communicate and talk about these expectations, all you're doing is you're making premeditated complaints. You're setting up your spouse to fail. Now, Nikki is not a morning person. In fact, when we were heading to family camp one, one year, this was before we had Olivia, before kids kind of force you to become morning people, um, we were heading out pretty early, and we're leaving, and the sun is coming up. And Nikki looks at the sunrise, and, and she says to me, what is this? It's like the dusk of the morning. <laughs> and I'm trying not to just laugh and, and be played like, Nikki, this is a sunrise. This is called dawn. This is what happens when you get up. <laughs> now, here's the thing. If, I, if we went into our marriage and I was expecting Nikki to get up and make me bacon and eggs every morning for breakfast, is Nikki going to meet that expectation? No. Why would I even want to make that expectation? My, my, our partner, our spouse, is not our servant. We don't abuse this love for one another that way. But if I had that expectation, and especially if I never told her I had that expectation, she's not going to meet it, and then I'm just going to complain. And, you know, a couple months in, I'm going to be like, ah, oh, cereal again? How come this isn't bacon and eggs? You know, I'm just setting myself up to complain and setting myself up to do something that tears it down. See, expectations are premeditated complaints. When we place all our hopes on someone else has to make us happy and fulfilled, we're just setting ourselves up to complain about it. So God's plan for marriage shifts our hope. It says instead of fixing your hopes and dreams on your spouse, fix your hopes on God and how together as a couple you can please him through your marriage. That as you love each other, you're actually demonstrating your love for God at the same time. And out of recognizing God's love for us, we actually can love one another deeper and more fuller. So as a husband and wife put their hopes in God, we get to fulfill what God desires for us in marriage. And this is why um, there's a passage that if you've been to a wedding, you've probably heard it from Ecclesiastes 4, verse 12, um, where the, the author of Ecclesiastes writes and says, a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, 
but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. And what it's referring to is that God is that third cord in your marriage. It's not just two. It's two plus one of your faith in God, your recognizing his love for us being that third piece. So on to step four. And this is interesting because they're actually the same. When failure occurs, repeat steps one to three. Now they might say the same, but they have completely different meanings. See, in the Hollywood myth of marriage is when your spouse fails to meet your hopes, fails to meet your expectations, when things fall apart and things get tough, the Hollywood myth says, well, start over. Go find someone new, fall in love, fix your hopes on them, and hope that the honeymoon phase lasts longer the second time. But God's plan actually comes back to ourselves. When we go back to that step one of saying, am I becoming who God is calling me to be? Am I becoming complete and empowered by his Holy Spirit? And then saying, am I choosing to walk in love with my spouse, with my partner? Am I choosing to walk in that intentional choice daily to love one another? That's a very different repeat steps one to three than the Hollywood myth. See, as we grow in God's plan for marriage, what it does is it actually makes what I would call a resilient marriage. Now, a resilient marriage is very different than a rigid marriage. See, a resilient marriage is one that when the storms of life happen, when you go through difficult seasons or times, maybe it's a job loss, maybe it's you know, a death of someone close, or, or who knows what the stress is. A resilient marriage can, is, like a, is like a tree that actually bends with the wind and then springs back. But a rigid marriage, it'll weather the small storms because it's strong and tough. But when something big comes, it just shatters and falls apart. A resilient marriage is actually the one that lasts longer. And when we follow this God's plan for marriage, when we actually take these steps and internalize them, that's what creates a resilient marriage that will survive life and will survive what happens. And so here's the third question I want to ask, and then we're going to move to discussing this together a bit. Do you need to shift from Hollywood's myth to God's plan for marriage? Is this a myth that maybe you've recognized a part of it in your own life? And what would starting over on God's plan look like for you? What would starting over and say, I want to focus on how do I become who's God's calling to me. I want to focus on walking in love together. I want us together to fix our hopes on God. What would it look like to make that shift? So I'm going to pull up uh, the form here, and if you're typing something in, it'll pop back up on my screen in just a moment. Um, but let's, let's maybe, I want to hear some of your thoughts on this um, as we go through. So uh, if someone's still typing something in, it'll pop up on my screen in a moment, but let's maybe just talk about this openly. What's the next step that you need to take to become the person God's calling to you? What's an example of what that next step could be? Uh, if you speak up, I'll, I'll, I'll repeat so everyone can hear. What's one step forward to take? Praying with your spouse. You know, is your, and, and if I can expand on that, say, you know, do we just treat our relationship with God as two individuals 
or do we actually treat our relationship with God as something together? And so choosing to pray together, you know, maybe attending a small group together um, are ways that we can do that. What else? Any other thoughts? Yeah, focusing on that fruit of the Holy Spirit, this, that, that great passage that talks about this is the result of the Holy Spirit working in us. And, and what Vicki added to that was saying that when she has more of those things, it's always benefited the marriage as a whole. You know, when we focus on that love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control, I've probably forgotten one in the list because I always do. Um, but as we focus on those things, we actually enhance both of our relationship with God. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes we don't know ourselves, but we ask the people that are close to us. Remember, what we said about our our spouse has the front row seat to all of our flaws, all of our good things too, all of our character and redeeming things, and so. Yeah, maybe it, it means that bravery to take that step and say, what, you know, ask someone who knows you well, what do I need to work on? What do I need to focus on? Uh, how about this second question? How can you remind yourself to walk in love? And remember, that's about how do we choose love as an intentional action, um, not just something that happens to us. Yeah, starting with God's love for us and actually recognizing, you know, do we, do we love and do we like ourselves? You know, sometimes we think that the moment we like ourselves, oh, that's pride. You know, it's actually not. When we recognize that God does deeply love us and care for us, that's often the what then overflows into how do we show love for one another. Um, any, any other thoughts on that? I thought, yeah. Yeah, that whole, that, that, that stopping and making a choice instead of reacting is a huge part of it. And I, I like the way you phrase that of saying, actually asking, is this my, my, my spouse's problem issue or is this my problem and issue? And, and kind of making that call first of saying, how do we need to wrestle, how do I need to wrestle with this first before putting what's my flaw or my fault, my issue on, some, on my spouse? Um, and actually that, that kind of connects back to what we were talking about last week. Um, with how do we contend with an issue instead of revert to conflict. And uh, actually next week, um, Vicky's going to dive into this a whole lot more, and we're talking about the marriage killer of, how to, of fighting dirty. 
of when we fight dirty, that's something that can tear and chip away at our marriages. So that's going to be next week as well as a huge kind of focus on that. So how about this third one of saying, do you need to shift from Hollywood's myth to God's plan? And what would starting over on God's plan look like? Okay. Yeah, exactly. It's that it takes it will always take two to work together on the issue. And and maybe just to connect those two things of saying I might recognize something is my issue. Or, but be able to say, hey, I need help. I know this is my issue, but I need your help to be able to deal with it. And vice versa, of saying that. How do we actually work together in that is a choice of, of not just saying, well, that's your issue. Deal with it. That doesn't actually, that's not the walking in love part. Um, when we have myths about our marriages... When we have uh, an idealistic you know, idea of maybe this is how it should happen, sometimes we need that reality check. Sometimes we need that, that, that time to say, you know, am I believing and am I reaching for what is the best that, that myself and my wife or your husband um, would be able to reach towards? Because we all, when it comes to marriage, we all actually desire the same thing. We want a happy, thriving marriage. No one goes into a marriage saying, I really hope this is terrible. Like, no one does. And and if you do, you better actually call it off before you make it to the wedding. Um, But we all actually want what's best in our marriages. We we intrinsically do that. And there's there's one last myth that I want to talk to and come up, kind of like a bonus myth to talk about. And this one might be a little sensitive sometimes, but it's something that we actually need to recognize because it comes out of um, recognizing God's love for us and his plan and how he desires us to be in a relationship with him. And that's this myth that sometimes comes up of saying, well, marriage doesn't matter anymore. Why bother with marriage? Why not just live common law? Why not just live together and have a great, happy life that way. And maybe that's the case. I don't know if that's your case or maybe it isn't. Maybe you've lived together for decades and you have a happy, thriving, healthy relationship. But there's two things that you miss out on when you don't take that step of marriage. And and I just want to share these with you quickly. The first thing you're missing is you're missing this intentional choice to have something that God intended for us. God intended marriage to be for us, for us to be united together with a spouse um, and be able to experience the fullness and the joy of what God created for us. And secondly, marriage is a covenant that's made between two people. Marriage is a covenant of saying we're committing ourselves to one another. When we don't have that commitment, when we don't have that express 
desire where we've gathered together and we've made a commitment before God. The truth is, at any point, someone could just say, yeah, you know, this isn't working out for me. Bye. But marriage is actually a commitment. You're saying from the get-go, this is what I'm covenanting to. This is the vow that I'm making to you that I will not break. Now, Scripture talks about marriage in this way because Scripture talks about the importance of marriage. And we can't just ignore it and push it to the side. You know, we have to actually deal with sometimes these tricky passages. And when Jesus was questioned about marriage and divorce, this was the response that he gave. He said, But God made the male and female from the beginning of creation. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. And this is this mystery of marriage that that we sometimes struggle to understand. That marriage isn't just, hey, we're going to live together and have fun. We're not, or we're going to live together and share our lives. Marriage is actually the two becoming one. I said before that marriage isn't one half plus one half equals one. Marriage is actually one plus one equals one. As God works in our lives and helps us to become complete and become who he has desired for us to be, to be filled with his love and his grace and his Holy Spirit. When we join together in marriage, we actually become one together. And it's that becoming one that's enveloped by God's love for us that's what creates the foundation for a strong, healthy, happy marriage. And so here's the challenge I want to give you this week. I want you to look at your own understanding of marriage, whether you're, whether you're married, whether you're single, maybe you're engaged, maybe you're dating, or maybe you're even divorced. But maybe ask and say, you know, what are some of the myths that I might believe about marriage? Does that Hollywood myth, does that actually describe my understanding? Was there part of it that felt uncomfortably true? Where maybe have you believed in a myth? And where do you need to take a step forward to go from the myth into the truth of what God's plan for our marriages are? And you know, talk to someone about this, you know, kind of like what was pointed out before. If you don't know where to start, you know, if you're married, talk with your spouse about this. Maybe say, you know, I had this, and, and maybe you can think back, and maybe it's something comical that you can laugh about together of, you know, I thought when we get married, it'd be like this. Maybe it's something humorous. But talk about those expectations with each other. Talk about that. You know, if you're not married, you know, maybe talk about it with a friend, and say, you know, what are some of the myths we might believe about ourselves that maybe need to be replaced with truth? So I hope that this is a starting point for a conversation for you. I hope that this is something that challenges you to think about this and wrestle through what does it mean um, to be married. And over the next two weeks, we're going to dive into this further. Next week, I mentioned Vicky's going to launch into Fighting Dirty uh, and how that can tear away at at our marriages. And the week after that, we're going to wrap up the series by talking about selfishness. We're going to talk about that issue that we all want to tend to go to, and that's to only think only of ourselves. So that's what's coming up over the next two weeks. I hope you'll come and join us for those and wrestle through them together. So folks, have a great week. Uh, If your kids are in kids' zone, pick them up right away. And then uh, for anyone who's sticking around for lunch, please do. Have a great week, folks. We hope this message helps you to take the next step in your faith journey. If you're in the area, we'd love to have you join us Sundays at 11 a.m. For more information about us, visit 
gvccbrandon.ca.